0: Welcome to Seek Justice, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the nuances of criminal justice. Good morning, Dennis.
1: Good morning, Eric.
0: So, last time we talked about uh, unintended consequences and how sometimes you can try and do one thing and another, it's like whack-a-mole, another thing pops up. Uh, And you mentioned that today you wanted to talk to me about something that's going on in Alabama.
1: Well... The, the story of unintended consequences, uh, as we discussed last week, can happen at the local level when nonprofits are attempting to work, do a good job, work with people who otherwise probably wouldn't have gone to prison, uh, perhaps, um, even though they espouse to be an alternative to incarceration. And then when the people who are caught up in their program fail in the program, they do go to prison. And so the unintended consequence is that you're actually increasing the recidivism rate. The situation in Alabama is much more system oriented, and it's uh, just uh, the latest example of how a state can enter into an era, a short couple years of reforms that will reduce the size of their prison population with a promise of reinvestments uh, from savings. And the unintended consequence is that the savings don't materialize or the savings aren't uh, applied to the justice system, instead they're applied for much more politically attractive things such as roads and education, right. and as a result, things change, and as I'll describe a little bit in Alabama, um, you've got all sorts of trouble. Um, and it is all around this thing of, geez, what are you intended, how do you intend to do it, and you gotta really plan for the end game in mind, very, very specifically, or as the situation that we've described many, many times is it's like trying to capture jello with a chicken wire. You squeeze one end, it comes out the other end. It's very, very hard to capture it unless you're very all hands on deck and very complete in your approach.
0: Okay, so what's um what was it, what was attempted in Alabama and how did it fail and what's um what's newsworthy about it at the moment?
1: Well the the federal government has found uh, through the courts that the Alabama prison system is unconstitutionally, um, is not constitutionally sound. It's uh, unsafe, it's uh, deplorable conditions. And you can, uh, you or the readers can look at a news report that came out five or six days ago that lays out these deplorable conditions. But this follows a series of reforms in Alabama that promised um, significant reinvestments. Based on savings, and apparently, one of the places that they didn't put whatever savings to materialize was not in addressing the conditions in the prison system. And the the here, here's the unintended consequence is that not only the the, as I've stated several times of previous podcasts, is that this promise of savings is false to begin with. This goes beyond that, um, way beyond that. In that if reforms are successful, as that we're in Alabama uh, to reduce the size of the prison population and the makeup of the prison population so that, as many reformists will uh, say, uh, I'm not one of them, that we'll focus on nonviolent offenders and uh, we don't want them in, in, in prison, which I'm, I'm not saying I disagree with that, but I don't want to stop with nonviolent. I want to look at people's risk level, whether they're violent or nonviolent and right, right. work through that. But what ends up, <laughs> Happening is the prison system ends up being a much more dangerous place. Once you remove from the prison system those folks that are on the low end of risk, you end up with a higher proportion, obviously, of people that are on the violent end of the spectrum. And as a result of that, the makeup of the prison system changes and it affects all sorts of things in terms of staffing, the amount of noncompliance at the prison level, prisoner level, altercations between prisoners, altercations between guards and staff is a ratio. Right. They begin to increase. Right. Exactly.
0: It's not that if you take away all the nonviolent um, inmates that you need that you need more uh, staff, it's that you need more staff proportionally because you've concentrated the um, the, the to more violent. The, the ratio of violent to nonviolence uh, has gone up. Right. So.
1: So the skill, the skill set for the uh, correctional officers is different. Um, and uh, using South Carolina as a uh, another example, which is probably about a year ago, they had riots, predicted riots, in the prison system, and it filed years of reforms that ended up doing the same exact thing I'm talking about here. It reduced the number of nonviolent people in prison, and then over time, because the prisons became more dangerous, and coupled with a great decrease in the unemployment rate, so the jobs were more plentiful, the job of being a correctional officer became much, much harder for the state to fill. Mm-hmm. Danger, pay level, etc. Right. So right. as a result, folks who worked in the prison system, who I met with uh, months before this happened, said that it was a potter cake. <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't uh, make a, a law in South Carolina, and I'm sure that's what happened in Alabama as well, a law that said when there's savings that are found as a result of the reforms, they must be reinvested in improvements in the in the system, whether that be parole officers, correctional officers, whatever. It didn't make that happen, and as a result, it was the decision of the legislature not to reinvest and instead to spend the money elsewhere. And uh, there was an article that uh, we could find easily enough that actually related. This situation exactly to these reforms, and the press got it right, huh. and uh, it just all gets back to these these promises that are made by policymakers. In this case, the uh, charitable trust, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, both of them, I think, uh, were involved uh, in both of these places. It could be one or the other. I'd have to check uh, check into it, but they went in not having a very deep and distant plan for you know what what would transpire if they were successful and uh, unintended consequences then took over.
0: So the, the bit that's unconstitutional is that part of the Constitution that talks about cruel and unusual punishment. Is that, is that correct? Or? Yeah, that's right.
1: Okay. that's right. That's right. You can't, you can't run a prison system that is so dangerous uh, that people are constantly in fear of their lives, and there's uh, extensive violence and rape and things of that nature, uh, drug smuggling, et cetera, and all you have to do is look at the uh, rate of uh, violent incidences, inmate to inmate, or inmate to correctional officer, et cetera, to see how a prison system is becoming more dangerous. Right. Amount of confiscated goods. I mean, there's a lot of data out there that, that when you start to track it, you can see the early signs of this very very easily. You don't have to just rely on the gut feeling of, of folks, which is good, the gut feelings are generally pretty, pretty solid on this, because you can feel what a prison feels like when you walk into it, whether it is highly charged or less charged. Interesting. It's it's hard to hard to explain it, but but all yeah. prisons are not the same.
0: <laughs> so I guess there's plenty of precedent as to exactly what uh, cruel means and what un- and unusual means. Uh, is is it is it obvious when a prison crosses that line, or is it pretty fuzzy and you need? Uh, persuasive lawyers to get involved?
1: Well, lawyers are always involved one way or the other. The Department of Correction all have lawyers, and they're constantly being sued for what happens inside a prison. And one of the uh, untold stories that we might get into, I've got, I'd have to find a lot more facts on this before I talk too, uh, too much about it. Um, but um, you start to see uh, incidents of violence go up. You start to see Uh, uh, drugs being moved into the prisons uh, go up um, and it creeps up on a prison system over time. Often what happens is an event that is quite obvious and can't be ignored because there's a prison riot, there's a murder. Uh, You know, in Delaware uh, uh, where I've worked, uh, there was a a riot there. The governor was involved. They stormed uh, the prison one of the correctional officers were killed well when the report was written about delaware and i'm sure this is the case in south carolina it will be the case in alabama these reports might be subtitled why did we ignore the science huh. why did we ignore the people who told us this it's always that thing right where yeah hindsight's twenty twenty. exactly yep and 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 so it's not it's not so subtle i've been in a lot of prisons all over the country and you can generally get a pretty good idea of the prisons being operated just by how the inmates interact with you mm-hmm. whether they're wide open or suspicious uh, um, what the uh, uh, you know kind of what the temperature the, the, the personal temperature is in the in the prison whether uh, folks are confident and uh, friendly uh, is 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 may sound sound strange but if you're in a prison where the uh, where the inmates are coming up to you and talking to you and yeah, they're interacting with each other and, and they're respectful. There's a vibe, right? You oh, yeah. walk into but, another joint, you know, and it, it's going to be very different. So these things often are, they range from subtle to obvious, but, uh, it's never a mystery
0: right. when it happens. Yeah. I imagine the, the, um, the nonverbal, you know, body language and stuff is gotta be when you first walk in the door and see the way the, the, the guy guarding the front, the front door is, his posture probably tells you a lot about.
1: There's a lot. There's a lot. And, you know, the. It's a little, it was hard for me when I had standing, when I was deputy director of the uh, prison system in Michigan, it was somewhat embarrassing to walk into a prison and then all the guards would yell, uh, you know, deputy secretary on the floor and that yell would. <laughs> you know, filter up through the, through the bays and the cells and whatnot. And it was always like, you know, can I just kind of come in <laughs> and the answer's no. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I remember one. And, and is, started.
0: is that to, is that to be like, uh, Hey, everybody, uh, be on your best behavior, you know, put down whatever yeah. you were, you were doing the, the, the boss is here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To st- st- stand attention, um, yeah it's 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 you know it's respectful as well i I, I suppose but you know i i was in a a prison in uh, michigan once that had been going through some very dramatic changes of prisoner preparation for release through prisoner reentry and they had uh been working for quite some time to change their programming and the uh even the housing was different programming everything was different and um I went into the prison long before this trip I'm talking about, and it was the difference between day and night. And it was all about those kind of subtleties that you mentioned, you know, the way that people look at you and how uh, uh, tense or or comfortable they are, um, how much they smile, how much they interact. The second time I went into prison, I had inmates come up to me and hello, sir, and shake my hand and look at me square in the eye. And the time before I went there, none of that uh, would take place. And you could just feel it uh, throughout the joint. And I remember going into, they were showing me around, of course, I went into a room where there were some of the surliest, biggest, meanest looking guys, right? And they were all uh, hunkered over these tables and they were making teddy bears. (laughs) Awesome. And it was so strange to see these guys all tatted up and wooly and big, (laughs) um, and then making their teddy bears. And when I, interrupted, of course, as as I would when I walk in and ask them how they were doing. Uh, They were very verbal. And one guy expressed to me that this work he was doing was the most important thing he'd ever done in his life. Wow. And I said, well, that's a, that's a big, uh, a big deal. I mean, why is that? He says, it's the first time I've ever done anything for anybody. Yeah. I've never done anything for anyone. It's all been me, 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 and and just to know that this is helping some kid in a hospital somewhere. is, I mean, it's very moving stuff. You know? sure, sure. It puts it, it puts the prisoners in a in a more of a human perspective. You know, where uh, you know a lot of different folks will describe prisons in a lot of different ways. Everything from treating them like animals in cages, which is you know not necessarily much the case in my experience, mm-hmm. treating them like animals per se. But nonetheless, they are locked up and it is small and confined. And uh, it, it may be cramped. Um, and it may or may not be clean. Right? If you walk into a prison and the prison isn't spotless, you're taken aback. With all that free labor.
0: Yeah, you know, exactly. It better
1: be clean. Even You know, I was in a prison in Texas. And it was uh, it was so old, so old and just these old uh, metal bars everywhere and the paint all chipping but it was spotless and every prisoner in the place was dressed in a uh, bright uh, white spotless clothes. nice and we're respectful um and when touring it you could see why i mean there was programming everywhere people were busy yeah you know and you know the saying uh, what is it the idleness is the the, you know something about the devil's yeah. handshake? I can't yeah. remember what
0: it
1: is. <laughs> idle this is the devil's workshop, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Idle hands or evil hands, or whatever. And it's really true in a system like that. I mean, you. There, and, and you it, ask it, me a lot of questions all the time about data. There's data that that, that you can use to show this.
0: It reminds me. Um, uh, it seems analogous analogous to um, to nursing homes, where nursing homes where there's a lot of programs and activities to do all the time the people are a lot happier and uh and do better and then there are other ones that are pretty much like locking animals in cages uh i hadn't yeah. i hadn't had never uh seen the equivalence between uh, nursing homes and prisons before but there's there's there are some uh yeah. I, so you you mentioned uh free labor and that seems like a top a Sort of a moral issue of how, I mean, you've you've got a bunch of people there that can't leave, uh, and do you give them jobs? And if you do, do you pay them? And how much do you pay them? And if you don't pay them, doesn't that sound an awful lot like slavery? There's a lot of uh, oh, well. issues here <laughs> that
1: yeah. Well, I, mean, I didn't mean uh, to drop the, uh, the slave
0: card yet quite so early, but well, to talk, to me, right. talk to me. Talk to me about I'll the free. Talk to me about how prisons manage free, you know, the idea of labor, having a, a workforce that can be employed.
1: Well, let, let's start with that, that that point of slavery. You're familiar with the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which outlawed slavery, which most students in, in grade school, eighth grade, high school, will know that it outlawed slavery. What a lot of folks don't know is exactly what that says, and it says that it, it outlawed uh, unpaid servitude unless the person... Was a convicted felon locked up in a prison system? Uh-huh. There, there's some words to that effect, and so to the matter is is that slavery is not against the law totally in the United States. Mm-hmm. Slavery is allowed in the prison system, so and uh, right, yeah. So uh, and, and and so you get paid a penny a day. Some pay a penny an hour, uh, and if you smoke cigarettes, which some prisons have outlawed now, by the way, uh, um, those cigarettes aren't going to cost you any less. I, I quit smoking 30 years ago, so I, can, I don't know what they cost anymore. I think they're probably pretty expensive, six, eight bucks a pack. Well, figure out how many pennies that is and how many days it would take you to buy a pack of cigarettes. And you get the idea wow. of what the economic uh, disparity is between, you know, the payment of slave wages, which frankly could be no wages. Right. Um, and then the expense of, of, of stuff that the prison system isn't going to give you cigarettes. You know, you got to buy your own, obviously. Um, so, it, so it's like, but here's,
0: here's, oh, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, here's the other fact to add to that. There's something called an idleness rate, and that is a um, ratio of prisoners who are busy at any given time. Okay. And the general rule is that if your idleness rate starts to creep up much beyond 10, 12, or even hits a high of 15%, you're likely to have trouble. Because prisoners, everybody, anybody, I shouldn't pick on prisoners per se, but if somebody's not keeping you busy, you will keep busy. Right. You will busy yourself, and when you're in a prison, and you're locked up with a bunch of criminals, <laughs> the odds are pretty good that some of the stuff that you're up to is not legal, uh-huh. and so you've got to keep people busy, or you it starts to get dangerous, and so there's data then that, that is one of the signs when you're thinking about Alabama, South Carolina, Delaware, be interesting for anybody to go in and look at the idleness rates um, when they start to say it's starting to feel a little uh, tense in here. You know, uh, you know, and, and you've got there's all sorts of punishments in the prison system where people get locked down. They aren't allowed out of their cell except for an hour a day. Tension rise. You're in a cell with another guy, another two men, perhaps. Uh, good Lord, I mean, it's it's there's you wonder why there isn't a riot every day. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And the ratio of correctional officers to prisoners is another important piece of data. Um, and depending on how the prison uh, is uh, constructed whether there's open bays where a lot of men sleep in one area, whether there's closed cells single cell, double cells, whatever makes a big difference where you can see what you can't see, etc. The newer prisons are constructed with a almost like an octopus with the uh, uh, correctional officers in the center of a hub and uh-huh. the wings spreading out from there so you can have uh, sight right, uh, right, you know, right. Un- sight down the line. Um, all these things come into play. Um, so Keeping prisoners busy, in a lot of respects, means giving them jobs that aren't uh, particularly meaningful. I saw one guy in a in a woodworking shop. I'll never forget this. Where young guy, and his job was to sweep. Well, he would never be done. Right. He would never be done, and he would never catch up. There was it was in a shop of some kind. Of, I think it was sawdust everywhere. Sure. Um, and I just thought, wow, what what a thankless job that would be. But he was happy to be busy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the days go a lot and I talked to him. He was making a penny a day or something like that. Um, other places you go, I've been in Angola prison out in Louisiana. The, how they work people there and how that prison is run is pretty remarkable with the, the number of prisoners that they have, particularly lifers. Now, now think about that. Uh, you, you've got a prison where guys are uh, going through programming and they're – being rehabilitated, so to speak, are habilitated and they're motivated because they're going to get out. Right. Well, what if you're in prison for life and there's no chance of parole? What's that? You know, how, yeah. Why would you put those people through programming? Exactly. If it's going to help them with a the skill when they get out. And so they don't get a lot of programming. And yet, those are the men who perhaps need uh, some response to their idleness more than anybody else. Sure. And it's very, very difficult for them. And we see a lot of uh, programs all throughout prison systems throughout the country where those lifers are put to use as volunteers, mm-hmm. if they have any kind of a skill, that skill could be taught to other prisoners. Huh. If they can read, they can be tutors, et cetera. I mean, you really, right. really got to take a completely different view when you're a warden, particularly a smart, informed warden who's kind of drank the the, the rehabilitation uh, Kool-Aid, so to speak, to, to be creative of, of, uh, about these kinds of things.
0: Sure. So is there any data to show whether paying prisoners more for their for their time uh, has any effect? Like maybe they want to, uh, you know, their their room and board is taken care of, but maybe they want to help support their family on the outside or something. Uh, is there any chain? To, are people more motivated? Or are there better outcomes or less recidivism or something if you pay them, you know, a couple of dollars an hour rather than pennies?
1: Well, um, I'm sure there is data and I'm sure there's reports. I know from my personal experience, a, a, a very good example of this is When I was in Kansas working in the prison system there, uh, I was in this uh, uh, prison that was built. Uh, I think Abraham Lincoln was president when it was built.
0: Uh,
1: It was that old and uh, ancient, huge, sprawling place. And um, I can't remember the circumstances, but I was treated with some deference and was on a tour and, and Uh, We left one building and uh, the guard, the correctional officer, said something to me about, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? He said, well, you see those big metal doors down there? That's where we're going. I want to show you something. Uh We go into these doors and we walk into a factory. And this factory is uh, embroidering sweatshirts and hats with college, university uh, symbols. Right. Right. words, names, you know, pictures, etc., and it is a beehive of activity, and there are sewing machines going everywhere, do not take you long to see, this is a well-run factory, production was just, you could see it happening yeah. before you, yeah, yeah. and everywhere, there's needles and box cutters and all sorts of stuff. Right. So I, I spent a good a bit of time there interviewing prisoners, talking to them, and correctional officers, well, in that prison system, which organized their uh, in-house work center so long ago that chambers of commerce were not organized well enough to outlaw, as many states have done, work in prison that competes with what happens in the free world.
0: Right. It's
1: It's a law in many, many states that you cannot compete. That's why they busy themselves making license plates and ashtrays out of old license plates, instead of manufacturing shirts, right? They could, or you know, or, or anything, right? I mean, you have got labor, uh, yeah. You yeah. know, so you could understand how the capitalist market would kind of be abhorred by this. But here, they had organized before any of that happened because its work centered idea had I'd been in Kansas before uh, most businesses. Interesting. But interviewed interviewed a man who was in for life. Uh, they were being paid a living wage, not minimum wage. A living wage. They were being paid more than a minimum wage. They are making enough money that they were paying for the room and board in the prison. They were sending money home. And this prisoner, who I don't, I never ask him what 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 they've done, but he'd done something serious, obviously. Yeah. He'd been in for life, and he was so proud. He put two kids through college. He sends home uh, money every month for his wife. He pays his own room and board. Wow. And he was just so proud. Now I will tell you this, and that's coupled then. Uh, uh, which is important if you want to have an impact afterwards. It's, you've got to do something about it. I mean, le- earning a living wage in prison or minimum wage or better wage in prison is one thing, but if if they get out and there's nothing there, then you're right back to, to where you were. So they also had a program to place inmates in jobs based on their skill level, and so it was a good yin yang kind of inside outside. The research says you should have whatever you do in the inside that's good, you know, continue it, you know, three yeah, that- times as much in the outside. That makes perfect Uh, sense. So, yeah, I mean, I could I could dig in and find the studies that would show this, but uh, you can you just know from an individual level how much better it is.
0: So, you just mentioned that he was paying his room and board. Uh, That normally you don't. How is how are there some prisons where you can or must do that? I was under the impression that the state is paying for
1: for all of that. Well, that's the right impression. I mean, the state uh, is, in fact, uh, almost all places completely paying for it unless of course you've got the circumstance if you're paying people a penny a day we're not going to charge them room and board uh,
0: but if you're Although paying them I, a I, good I, wage I, yeah but what if you yeah. what if what if you you know lose that job i mean you you're not gonna you're not gonna it's not be able to, to, pay, to rent.
1: pay rent no it's tied to the job yeah right it's okay. tied to it. so it comes out of, it comes out of your paycheck and you know and, and i had asked um in kansas uh geez uh has there ever been any, you know, problems with weapons, et cetera? Because, you know, the whole place is, everywhere you look, there's a weapon, right. a potential weapon. And, you know, it, it, you can walk into any prison, and they will have a little display case somewhere that shows you, you know, proves the creativity of prisoners, <laughs> although albeit <laughs> with weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they make into weapons, everything from a toothbrush that's been sharpened against a brick Right. And then used as a shiv, yeah. you know, to, to you know, taking your shoes apart. And some shoes have got a metal shank in them that you can use for a knife, etc. Wow. Um, but here, uh, a prisoner, it was either a prisoner or a correctional officer who'd been there for 20 some years, said in all that time they had one, had had one lockdown because there was a box cutter missing. And of course, the, the key to this is, you know keeping track of everything you know i mean sure you, you pick your tools up you sign out for etc
0: right right right
1: um and the whole prison was shut down until the prisoners found the prisoner that took the box cutter and turned it in huh. because right. those prisoners were motivated they needed to go to work the next day right so uh, and the, the prisoners run the prison system in a large extent anyway that's a perhaps a whole nother uh, discussion uh but it's important when you've got ratios of one correctional officer to 10, 15, 20, 30, 60 150 men uh, you better be running the place right uh, without too much unrest exactly. or uh, you're in trouble
0: so with relation to the option to pay room and board are there um, are there better cells that you can uh, you can pay more for can you can you upgrade
1: <laughs> is there a uh... i want a two i want a two bedroom <laughs> uh, no, Can I get an uh, on-sweet? I, 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 I wouldn't put it that way, but I will tell you this, that housing in prisons is uh, driven by, uh, not surprisingly, risk classification that assesses the relative risk of a prisoner in that setting and then puts similar prisoners in the same housing. Right. You don't want to put a, a, a guy who's on the weekend of the spectrum, nonviolent, uh, kind of soft, in a unit that's got you know the, the guys that are hardened, sure. Um, so that's one thing, and the other thing is the degree of compliance and non-compliance. So if you're non-compliant, you're going to get busted back into different uh, housing units in the prison that are less uh, comfortable, certainly than 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 where you go compliant. If there's not much range, I mean, you know, it's not like they've got you know ten options, fifteen options, but there is some, right? Um, and there's a whole other. Uh, discussion around this that just popped into my mind, um, where you've got guys in single cell, um, and they get classified up into a single cell status for whatever non-compliance or for their original crime, they don't want to leave those cells. And so before they're uh, reassessed, because being in your own cell incident,
0: is because being in your own cell is better than than sharing. Well, it's private. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Privacy. I mean, there's nothing, you know, the cacophony and. Of noise in, in a prison and lack of privacy, and you don't get to pick your you don't get to pick your roomie. Yeah, you know, and and, and, and so you got your stop, right? I mean, you, you 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 yeah seen enough movies, you can yeah remember I, some of those scenes, right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so, the, the, and just before that reassessment, uh, you'll see a spike in incidents. The guys that want to leave, and so they do something that, that puts them in a non-compliant or the other uh, reverse of it. This is theoretical. I, I don't know that I could put my hands on any data on this, so I just say it more as an opinion. I wouldn't be surprised if the correctional officers, as well, they don't want to see a a prisoner that's compliant, been in a cell for a long time, move and leave, and be replaced with some 19 or 20 year old kid that's disrespectful and and violent and, and difficult. So you know they're more than happy to uh, reassess an incident, uh, which will keep the prisoner there. But class, I I often said a classification from uh, lower custody to higher custody from general population into single cell, et cetera, is a one-way elevator. Huh, it goes right. up. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was in the, in the Michigan prison system, and we were crowded, and the uh, single cells were all taken, and we had double cells that were filled. And I asked for uh, classification, reclassification information, and found that they were only being reassessed for reclassification once a year. Well, my word, if you're gonna get moved from a bay area into a single or a double cell, mm-hmm. and you want to get reassessed once a year, that element pretty much going one way, and then the percentage of reassessments that result in a lower custody level is slim. You know, And these are the things that, th- th- there, there's data, there's information, there's subjective uh, information, interviews and whatnot that can tell you when you're in a prison system what's happening across the board with these areas, and you can see the signs and the signals and the data when stuff starts to go in the wrong direction. A smart uh, warden and many of them are very, uh, very impressed with a, a lot of their uh, career uh, bachelor and their intelligence, and they keep track of this stuff, and they keep the lid on things. It's, it's often, it, To me, it's a miracle that the, that the thing works at all.
0: So is it, like, obviously, you take, the reason you put the non-compliant people in their in a, in a private cell is because they're dangerous to other people but what a what a shame that that's also a reward like that's you know it, the incentives are reversed right if you if you behave badly we're going to give you a, a nicer nicer conditions
1: yeah well i wouldn't go too heavy with that i mean i, no. I don't want to uh, yeah it's i mean Single cell, is no fun. I mean, the the downsides. If you're in a single cell, you have also probably got restricted activity, so you may only get outside an hour a day. I mean, if uh, you're uh, in higher custody levels, it is, it's a it's a it's a penalty of, of different things that are happening. Uh, and I just look at I just mentioned earlier one sliver of that thing. That okay, okay, privacy. okay. Thank you. It's very nothing good. that you necessarily aspire to, but if you've been in prison long enough and you're an old guy, right? And the the, the young guys that are causing most of the trouble. I mean, the the guys that cause most cause most trouble in prisons many many times. Our folks are short-termers. They're in there for a short bit. They're not going to be there very long. Right. The maximum sentence is such they know they're going to get out. They can't keep them there beyond their maximum sentence, and so those guys are ruling. Huh. You're an old guy, a lifer, wants to go along and get along, and this is your home. Right. You don't want to be around that, you know. And so, for sure, uh, it'd be uh, it'd be fascinating to to get a to get a prison around the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a life, you know, who's been in prison and. For he or she to describe all of this stuff, you know, uh, prove me true or prove me wrong. But
0: uh, yeah, you know, my that...
1: experience is, is based on you know talking to people and being there and watching it, and seeing it happen.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, being being out here, it's hard to either f- even fathom what all the uh, incentive structures are going on in there.
1: Well, in Europe, it's is completely different uh, uh, system altogether. Depending on where you are. You, you, you've been you've lived in denmark for a while so you know maybe a little bit about their prisons are run they look like community college campuses yeah you know? i mean they have really uh gone into a completely new era that the united states uh will never see anything like that in our lifetime of course my lifetime is nearly as long as yours is going to be <laughs> but i don't know that it'll ever happen yeah i don't know that it'll ever happen i mean We've talked so many times in so many different ways about the difficulty of getting these reforms to stick uh, in a jurisdiction, in a, a prison, let alone a prison system, a state system, let alone the entire country. I mean, we're, we're just so far gone. You know, it, it, as I'm nearing, you know, retirement age, I've considered now and then, geez, what what did you accomplish? And I feel very positive about tens of thousands of prisoners that have benefited from the policies that I've helped change and shape. Mm-hmm in terms of their life in prison and life after prison. So it's been helpful. But on the spectrum, on the perspective of whether or not the dial has really changed on the system itself, you see some pockets of it, but no, not not, not really. And, you know, and, and again, I mean, it's built on this uh, principle of slavery. Uh, right. And if, if th- that was outlawed for some pretty good reasons. We don't need to elucidate them. I mean, we're, we're very clear about that. But those same kinds of things are going inside the prison system. Yeah, yeah. I think our,
0: I think we can assume our listeners are anti-slavery, so we don't need to go into those arguments.
1: Well, well one of the one of the things to consider too is, uh, like, uh, uh, what are the what are the where are prisons located, and why are they located there, and what relationship does that location have with the potential for them to leave the prison uh, better prepared? Does the location of the prison have anything to do with that, and does that have any relationship with jobs in prison, et cetera. So many, many prisons are located in rural areas who clamored for the prison because of jobs. right? And these are relatively dead-end jobs. There's a lot of studies that show that you put a dollar into the prison system and it's not going to spring up a bunch of uh, uh, other jobs. You might have uh, prisons and then you may need more parole officers, but it's not like a manufacturing job, where as a result of manufacturing, you create warehouse jobs, you create transportation jobs to move the goods, you create wholesale and retail businesses to be able to sell the goods, et cetera, et cetera. That's productive yeah. money.
0: Yeah, well, right, it's a, it's a system where the better you do it, the fewer jobs there are, right? Right. If you, so again, there's another place where your, uh, your incentive structures on the, on the other side are, uh, are flipped.
1: So you take prisoners who come from largely urban areas. It's a phenomenon that's you know, absolutely clear. Every state you're in, the major cities, uh, uh, there's data that, that you can look at that shows the percentage of prisoners that come from the urban centers are very high. In Michigan, uh, back uh, when I was working in the correction system, about 45% of all the prisoners in the system came from and returned to Detroit. Right. Well, there were only two prisons where they drive a distance to Detroit. The other prisons in Michigan, some were five, six, eight hours away. Well, if you're in a rural setting up in the upper peninsula of Michigan and you're a Detroit kid, and you're gonna end up going back home, what happens when you're five or six hours away? Your family can't come to see you. Sure, It's too far of a trip. If you learned a skill up there, what would the applicability be in Detroit? If you graduated into some type of work release setting and you were a good worker and you picked up a skill up in the UP, right. How could that possibly have anything to do with the job in Detroit? One judge, I may have provided you this quote before, one judge said that when you take a prisoner from Detroit and you send him up to the UP for 10, 15 years sentence, you've given him a license. They will never recover from that.
0: Yeah, you've said that before at night, but it it bears repeating. It's a...
1: Well, and and think about this in relationship with with the jobs and the pay. You're up in these rural regions. If you're in an urban setting and you're working in a prison that prison is located near a city you've got all sorts of opportunities for engagement in that community from a business angle work release preparation etc cetera, etc cetera. those things don't exist rural and uh it's uh you know private prisons come in, into play as well here it's a whole other topic but so if we uh, it,
0: so if we put if we put prisons closer to cities this would have overall better outcomes we we think and also are, are, are prisons something where, uh, where no one wants to have the prison nearby unless you're in the rural area and think there, there are jobs? Well, you, are people afraid of, of, re- of uh, you yeah. know, escapees or
1: something? Or yeah, the, 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 the places that clamor for prisons are the places where unemployment is high. They tend to be more rural. Right. So the urban centers are not going to clamor. Um, and they're likely to suffer more from the NIMBY principle, not in my backyard, NIMBY. Yep. Um, and that's another reason why the prisons are, are built far further from the urban center. On the other side of that, though, is the, we've discussed, and it's somewhat obvious, the, the benefits of having a, a prison, if you're going to have one, have it closer to an urban center. And for no other reason, the proximity of prisoners to their families right. is, is, is one of the single most critical factors that will... Uh, uh lead toward more success they've got to have that connection if you break that off then you yeah. don't make that workable i and, and think too. imagine this that we had 55 prisons in michigan when i was first here we've got 30 some now 29 may i think they've closed two more we ended up closing 20 prisons because of prisoner reentry and the reforms that we made internally pretty remarkable success story um but um those prisons in those rural areas, why were those difficult to close? Because the legislators were up in arms of losing jobs. But, you know, the, it's, it's difficult to make um, a silk purse out of a sow's ear. You know, and when we're looking at these uh, different aspects of prisons where some are run better than others, it, 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 there are always exceptions to the rule. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's damn miserable uh, when you think about um, how little the prison systems as a whole have actually changed over the past 100 years. I mean, it's, it's good pockets and good examples of things that are happening very well, you know, uh, better reentry, et cetera, et cetera. But so many places, it's not touched them at all.
0: Next week on Seek Justice, we discuss the pros and cons of the privatization of prisons,
1: My position is that I don't want a private corporation running any type of a prison facility at all. Okay. If that prison facility includes the potential for gunfire or uh, physical violence, which, of course, pretty much they all do.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like what you've just heard, you can support us by telling a friend or sharing us on social media. All of our episodes can be found on our website, seekjustice.fm. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be reached at seekjusticefm at gmail.com or via our Twitter account at seekjusticefm. See you next week.